Okay, hey everyone, thanks for coming. So, don't have a ton of time. We're going to talk about streaming royalties and an idea to, uh, we're gonna talk about uh, some ideas to make it fairer and make it work better, uh, the system overall. So before I can talk about ways to make things better, I think uh, it might be helpful for some of those, uh, some of you who do not know how the system works now. So the way royalties work right now, it's a pro rata system. You pay a $10 subscription fee. Uh, the services take out 30%, so that's $3. And the remaining $7 goes to the rights holders. So at scale, what this looks like, uh, and these are actual numbers from Spotify, December 2014, uh, thanks to my fellow co-panelist, Jeff Price. Uh, so. In December 2014, Spotify made $37 million in revenue uh, after they took out their 30%, $11.2 million. That left $25.7 million in royalties to be distributed to artists. That $25.7 million was divided by 3.4 billion streams, and that's where we get our magic .007 per stream. It's a little less than three quarters of a penny. So, uh, seems fair, right? Uh, the more you stream, the more quarters of a penny you get. Uh, seems reasonable, seems plausible, so cool. What's the problem? Well, uh, we're gonna talk about the problem. And uh, to sort of explain the problem, I'm going to grab a couple volunteers. So Kelly, can you just go sit up there for me? And Jeff, you're the perfect person for this. All right, so. Uh, Now we're gonna. Kelly is going to be Alt J. So I'm gonna put a little Alt J sign here. Jeff, go ahead and take the stage. Oh, this is exciting. Yeah. And Jeff, I think there's a, a likeness here. Jeff's gonna be Nickelback. <laughs> All right, so we got Nickelback and Alt J. Okay. So, yeah, they're Nickelback. So. Uh, we're going to imagine a hypothetical universe now uh, with 10 subscribers. So we've got 10 people that are subscribers. Each of these $10, or uh, each of these 10 people are paying $10 each. Spotify takes out their 30%, so that leaves $70 of royalties that are generated to be distributed among our hypothetical two artists. So we're going to go to example number one. All users click the same amount. So in this example, we're imagining that each of these 10 users users are going to click the same number of times. That'll be 400 times each. So Alt-J has eight fans in this example, and they each click 400 times. And Nickelback has two fans, that's the red ones on the end there. They each click 400 times. That's a total of 4,000 total clicks. So when we factor in the royalties, Alt-J gets most of the royalties because they had most of the clicks. Kelly, that is for you. And then uh, Nickelback had less of the clicks, 20% of the $70, 20% of the clicks, so they get a smaller pile of money. That's how it works, 4,000 total clicks. Now, we're going to imagine a new scenario. What if a user gets really obsessive about Nickelback's photograph song, which is three minutes and 55 seconds long, and they play it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
Well, then they will play that song over the course of a month 12,200 times. So now we have 16,000 total clicks. Alt-J still has the most fans, eight fans. They still have 3,200 clicks, but Nickelback has 12,600 total clicks. So what does this do for the royalties? Well, if you could just exchange bags, please. Uh, Alt-J now gets $14, and Nickelback gets $56. So that's kind of uh, strange here. We got one user who just clicked a lot more, and it changed everything dramatically. In fact, it completely reversed uh, the royalty distribution. Uh, even more perverse, because uh, he's getting uh, $56, six Alt-J fans are now financially supporting Nickelback. That's how it works. So the message to artists is really simple. Get clicks. Don't get fans. Get clicks. It's clicks is what you want. So uh, the system we've created right now, or the system we're in right now, is incentivizing clicks. And when you create incentives, as Gregory Mankiw said in 10 Principles of Economics, people respond. People respond to incentives. Uh, the first rule of economics, people do more of something when the reward increases. There's 10 things debaters should know about economics. That's rule number one. When you make a reward, people will pursue the reward. So if you've created this reward that getting more clicks is what you want, what's the inevitable next thing that's going to happen? Click fraud. So uh, you might think, well, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of hard to do, right? Well, no, as a matter of fact, a couple weeks ago, an, an article, uh, an author on vice.com uh, wrote an article, I built a botnet that could destroy Spotify with fake listens. Uh, he goes on to write, and that's a diagram of his uh, server model. Uh, this is an actual bot, this isn't a hypothetical, he actually built it. And he said, with minimal effort, I was generating $32.26 per day in royalties. Inevitably, inevitably, my thoughts wandered to greed. How profitable would this music royalty factory be if I turned it on music I own the rights to? That's a great question. Now, the services will say, well, you, you, we, we got this under control. We're, we're working, we totally got the, the fraud problem. We're, we're cool with it. And the internet companies at this point are saying, really? Apple, Facebook, Google, Twitter, combined market cap over $1.5 trillion. They definitely do not have control over it. In fact, click fraud is in 2014, just last year, was $11.6 billion. That's more than Spotify is worth. Uh, and uh, just to underscore the fact that nobody's figured this out yet, that's up 22% from the prior year. So when the services say, we got this figured out, the rest of the internet's like, please, tell us how. They don't have it figured out. Nobody has it fi figured out. Uh, one of the services has told me, well, I think you're being kind of scaremongering here. I'm like, how do you know? How are you going to tell if there's click fraud, you know, if, 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 if you can't figure it out? How, how are you in a position to tell? So I'm a little mystified by that. But that brings our new artist to the table, <laughs> Dr. Evil. I will uh, play Dr. Evil. So Dr. Evil notices our 10th listener listening 12,500 times. I approach him and I say, you're paying 10 bucks a month. How about I pay you $20 a month and you click on my fake artist every 31 seconds. 
So if you click on my fake artist every 31 seconds, that's going to come out to 83,612 streams per month, which means our new total is 87,412 total clicks. Now, what does this mean for royalties? Well, uh, Alt-J now gets uh, $2.56. So, uh, Jeff, I'll take that. That's mine. Uh, and uh, Nickelback, oh, thank you. That's right, you, you know I'm Dr. Evil. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you get, I have too many things in my hand, there we go. You get that much smaller bag, $2.56. And uh, Nickelback, their new royalties, and keep in mind, they still have the same number of fans, same number of fans. Nickelback, their new royalties is 32 cents. So here's a quarter, and there's two pennies, and there's your nickel back. So, oh, sorry, I flipped it. Yeah, got it. Uh, meanwhile, I, Dr. Evil, get all the rest of the royalties, $67.20. Uh, what does this mean? Well, uh, now all of Alt-J and Nickelback's fans are contributing all of their money, all of the $63 that they generated in royalties, they're giving me all of it. Uh, meanwhile, they're gonna get $3.88 back. So in truth, 100% of the real fans in this hypothetical example are supporting Dr. Evil, all just because uh, uh, Dr. Evil has evil path. So this is bad for fans and artists, but it's bad for services and labels too, because pro rata grows clicks, not subscribers. So going back to, uh, I, I can figure out how to rewind. There we go. So uh, in this case, uh, each of the uh, subscribers now, each of our, the real subscribers, they're worth 32 cents each just 32 cents each. Meanwhile, the subscriber clicking 83,612 times is worth $67. He's worth dramatically more. So uh, the, this is a problem because most serious music fans already subscribe to a streaming service. So to the extent that we're incentivizing the acquisition of heavy users, we've already got most of them at this point. This is Nielsen research study in 2013. Uh, the people who have not yet subscribed, the people who, where all the growth is for streaming services, they're all light users. So in effect, what's happening here is we're incentivizing the wrong things. What are we doing? We should be in, uh, trying to get lots and lots of people to sign up and, and, and encouraging artists to build up these huge fan bases. Instead, we're asking them to find the one guy who clicks a lot. It's the wrong direction. So now the question is, is there a better way? In my view, yes, there is a better way. It's called subscriber share. It's very simple. One subscriber, if he plays Alt-J 100% of the time, then Alt-J gets 100% of his royalties, $7. Very simple. If he plays Alt-J 25% of the time, then Alt-J gets 25% of the royalties, $1.75. Very straightforward. So if we go back to the Dr. Evil scenario, Alt-J has 80% of the fans he gets, uh, who are playing uh, Alt-J 100% of the time, Alt-J gets 80% of the money, $56. Nickelback has one fan playing him 100% of the time, 
they get 100% of that $7. And finally, Dr. Evil, even though it's 83,612 clicks, he's only getting $7. So now that click fraud scheme where I pay $20 in exchange for 83,612 clicks is now costing me $13 a month. Completely eliminates the profit angle. So what are the problems with ProRata? Well, number one, fans are supporting music they don't like. You have Alt-J fans supporting Nickelback. You have Sex Pistols fans supporting Lisa Manilli. The number of fans doesn't even matter. ProRata basically doesn't care how many fans you have. All it cares is how many clicks you're getting. The only thing that matters, is, as a matter of fact, under the ProRata scheme is the number of clicks. Uh, click fraud is, as I demonstrated, easy and profitable. The services will say it's not. The vice writer proved it wrong. He built that botnet and it's working just fine. Light users, finally, are worth very little. This is completely the opposite of what the music industry should be incentivizing. We should want the light users to subscribe. We should want them to come in mass. And instead, we're saying, eh, those guys are worthless. So how does subscriber share fix that? Fans support only the music they like. The number of fans actually matters. It's part of the equation, but it's not the sole part of the equation. We're not trading one problem for a new problem because actually the number of clicks still matters too because you've got to get market share of each of those individual fans. In other words, it's a lot like real life. When I was a professional musician, all the clubs, all they cared about was how many people can you draw, right? I'm, I'm sure people in the music industry know what I'm talking about. How many people can you bring? Nobody says, of the people you bring, how often do they listen to your band? Oh, cool, you, you, you brought three people, but they listen to you 10,000 times a month. We're good. No, that's not how it works. It's like, I don't care how often they listen to it. I want, you know, bodies in the door. That's what the music industry should be incentivizing. Uh, so uh, under subscriber share, all fans are equally valuable. And so one way to think about this is pro rata says all clicks are worth the same. Subscriber share says all fans are worth the same. And all fans pay the same amount. So why shouldn't they be worth the same? So what are the critiques of, uh, oh, great, great time to send me a text. It's not that exciting. Okay, so uh, who benefits under pro rata? It's a great question. Uh, why would we want to keep it this way? Well, uh, artists with above average users. Okay, what's above average mean? Maybe we could define that. All right, well, Spotify has helpfully defined it for us. They say the average user listens to Spotify 148 minutes per day. This is an actual uh, slide from a Spotify demonstration, but you can also find this stat directly on their website. Uh, how many, uh, and we're all like presumably serious music fans here, we're at a music conference. How many of you listen to over, just raise your hand, how many, realistically, how many of you listen to over two hours of music a day, seven days a week? Yeah, okay. Uh, no, streaming, streaming online, from one service. From one service, right? So we got like a very small number here, right? This is, by the way, the music industry. Now, imagine what it's like in real life. So, 148 minutes a day, 1,110 streams a month is the typical user 
streaming that much. Well, average does not mean typical. And that's something that I think a lot of people sort of lose sight of. So we're going to sort of illustrate how uh, average can be sort of uh, manipulated here. Uh, I'm going to sort of assume there's roughly about 100 people in this room. Let's imagine that uh, the folks in this room, uh, the person making the least amount of money uh, would be you, sir. Uh, you make $1 million, or you're worth, you have a net worth of $1 million. And uh, the person who uh, is worth the most amount of money would be you, ma'am. Uh, you're worth $100 million, right? And everybody else is worth somewhere between $1 and $100 million, so that roughly the average is $50 million, right? And, and the way we like to think about this is, oh, it's average. So half are worth more and half are worth less. And in this case, it's true. But Bill Gates just walked into the room. And Bill Gates has a net worth of $80 billion, just under $80 billion. So uh, when we bring Bill Gates into the room, now the average net worth of everyone in the room is now somewhere, give or take, $750 million. So now, even though all of you make between one and $100 million, every single one of you is below average. There's only one person out of the entire room that's above average because the average has been raised so high by this outlier. You're, you're missing my great little picture of Bill Gates there. So outliers <laughs> matter. Okay, so uh, what does this mean for streaming? Well, uh, we've created, uh, I've created with this uh, log normal uh, positive skewed distribution set, if you're a statistics fan. Uh, and basically what I'm imagining here is our x-axis, uh, sorry, x-axis is number of streams per month per user and our y-axis is the number of subscribers. So if we can imagine uh, you know, a small number of subscribers probably don't stream at all very much because they're traveling or maybe they're just tired or they're sick or um, they just want the kids to shut up. And then most people are streaming around here and then there's a small number of users that are streaming an awful lot, right? And it's probably a, a power law that looks a lot like that, right? So, uh, oops. So uh, our typical user would be up here, right? About 350 streams per month. Our median point, where half are streaming more and half are streaming less, would be 750. And our average, our average would be 1,100, which is what Spotify says is the average. Now, why is that average so far above the median? Why is it so far above the typical? Well, because you have these mega users they're over here, streaming 7,500, 10,000, 15,000. We don't, we don't actually know how much they're streaming because none of the services will actually tell us, but we can sort of guess, right? There's going to be some heavy users out there. So the net effect of this is a minority of users, everyone here in this red circle, the above average area, they're controlling most of the royalties. A small number of users are controlling most of the royalties. What does this mean in real life? Well, let's take a look at pop music. We imagine pop music, they're streaming a lot, right? Uh, there's a, a, a huge volume of, of users, and so maybe the average is 750, but it's still below average, right? So maybe we think indie uh, listens to more music than pop music. Actually, the stats I've heard recently are, are the opposite, but let's just assume this 
for the moment. So uh, the indie average is right here, but still below average. But the indie people might say, well, we're in that minority of people that stream more. We're above the median. But you're still below average. So what and who are these folks, these guys that are all above average, the mega users? Who are they? Because they're controlling all the money. We should kind of know who they are, right? Well, uh, we have some theories based on what actually things Spotify has said, things Apple Music has said, and just common sense. One, uh, unlicensed gyms, hair salons. I go to a gym uh, three or four times a week, try to, uh, and uh, they have a Spotify service there, uh, and, and they're streaming 12 hours a day. One subscription, not licensed, they're not paying BMI, they're not paying ASCAP, they're not paying any of these people, and they're streaming way more than I could ever stream. It's just one $10 subscription, it's getting them there. Uh, you also have offices. How many of you listen to Spotify at work? Show of hands. I mean, I would expect to see more. Come on, music industry. All right, maybe you don't. Uh, but uh, I, you know, certainly it's common for people to listen to Spotify and streaming services at work. Did you know you had to get a license to do that? I mean, has anybody ever heard of an office being sued for playing music in the office? We hear about the bars and the restaurants, but in, you know, an office like the local Bank of America is going to get sued because uh, the receptionist plays uh, Alt J. Uh, college dorms, obviously, they would be a heavy user, right? Makes sense. Sit around smoking pot, play music all day. <laughs> Teenagers, okay. Sure, we can see that. Nobody listens to music more than teenagers. And then finally, our, you know, of course, we got to factor in our click frauders. We don't know how much they're listening, but they're, they're certainly part of it, right? But what is the revenue per listener for each of these groups, right? So gym, hair salon, you figure you got, like, my gym is a tiny gym, but there's probably three or 4,000 people that, that pass through there in the space of a month. That's $10 being divided by 4,000 listeners. So the revenue per listener is very low. Uh, offices, you know, maybe it's 10 people, 20 people dividing that $10. Uh, college dorms, you know, everybody's sharing, uh, you know, a subscription. Teenagers, you might think, well, that's our big hope. But actually, statistically, and this is a very strange stat, nobody listens to music more than teenagers, and nobody spends less money on music than teenagers. They are literally the least amount of money spending in any age group. People over 45 years of age spend way more money than teenagers on music. They're using their parents' account. They're not spending any money. So the revenue per listener on teenagers is very low. Uh, click fraud, obviously, that's not even a real listener. That's just a bot. So you, you could hardly say the revenue per listener there is high. So what does that mean? Users, my goodness. Users generating the least revenue per listener are controlling most of the royalties. That's insane. Why are we doing it that way? That's completely nuts. All right, so like all ideas, Subscribershare has its critics. Uh, these are some of the things people like to uh, complain about it. Uh, one is, well, you're moving money to more popular artists. Well, actually, it doesn't mean what you think it is. Yes. It's true, it's moving money to people that are more popular, people that have more fans. But 
let's not get lost in terminology here. Popularity doesn't necessarily mean big. If you can imagine 20 high school bands all at the same high school, one of those bands is going to be more popular than the others, right? That's the popular band at that high school. They're the ones that would benefit under subscriber share. So when we talk about more pop, uh, pop, the money moving towards more popular artists, we're not talking about it moving towards Taylor Swift. We're talking about it moving towards artists with more fans, which is exactly what we should want. We should want the artists with fans to make more money. Uh, and there's actual statistical evidence that supports this notion. So um, this uh, gentleman, Arndt Masso, he's a professor at the University of Oslo. They took some uh, uh, WIMP data, now called Tidal, Jay-Z's thing, but they, they got uh, uh, a couple months of data uh, from WIMP, August 2012 and August 2013. And they actually took a look at this very question. Uh, what I call subscriber share, he refers to as, as uh, user-centric. And uh, they looked at the top 5,000 artists. And as you can see, the current model, pro rata, this is the red section. And then when we switched to subscriber share, this is the, the little bump they saw here, blue. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty nominal, right? So uh, you think, well, okay, that's not such a big deal, right? But let's look at the local artists. These are the local artists, uh, people local to Denmark. And as you can see, that blue line gets a lot wider. So subscriber share has this weird tendency of actually affecting people on the lower rungs a bit who are actually popular a bit more aggressively than the people on the high rungs who are already popular. So then the next thing they say is, well, we can't do this. It'll upset the market share, right? That's a valid critique. Nobody wants to turn the entire music industry upside down. And you know, presumably, if the major labels have, uh, or if uh, the indies in aggregate have uh, you know, some sort of uh, uh, reason or method to believe that this is going to hurt them in some way, then they would be a pretty strong advocate to not go this direction, right? Well, Arm Masso took a look at that question. And uh, the red line is the pro rata. The blue line is user-centric. Universal lost about half a point. Uh, Sony Music more or less stayed the same. Uh, and uh, Warner Music and EMI, uh, which is now uh, combined, but back then they were separate, uh, they lost about a point. But this is the interesting thing, and this is the thing I think a lot of folks should be thinking about. Phonophile in Europe is a huge, massive indie aggregator. Look at their line. Look at the red line, which is the current system, and the blue line. Okay, where did that blue line come from? Well, it came from you know, this, this other category that you know, nobody can really tell who it is, and that's presumably where your unpopular artists who are manipulating the system and your click frauders would be hanging out. Uh, so you know, the truth is, it doesn't really upset the current uh, distribution of wealth among the major rights holders um, as it stands currently. So then the counter-argument is, well, okay, if it doesn't upset anything, why would we even do it, right? It's not going to change anything. Well, and this is where uh, I use an analogy here. Imagine you have two kittens in a box. And you are a scientist, and you have to decide which of these poison gases you should use. You have two poison gases, gas number one, gas number two. So you put your two kittens in a box and you put in ga poison gas number one. And one of the kittens dies. 
Okay. So you get two more kittens, you put them in a box, you put in poison gas number two. One of the kittens dies. Okay, so you might think, well, 50% fatality rate, no matter which gas we use, doesn't really matter. We can use either gas. It's 50% fatality rate, either way. Now, what if I told you that one of those kittens had a gene that will allow you to cure small cell carcinomas? Now, all of a sudden, you care which kitten survives, right? It matters which kitten will live. So you want the poison gas that will not kill the kitten that cures cancer. <laughs> In the music industry, artists with real fans are the kitten that will cure cancer. Don't kill the kitten that cures cancer. So, subscriber share. Supports emerging artists. It incentivizes subscriber growth. It reduces fraud. It makes every fan matter. It brings artists and fans closer because now fans matter. Now they count instead of not counting. Their decisions matter. An interesting thing I didn't get a chance to talk about today, but I'll sort of briefly mention, creates opportunity for new genres. All right, so let's think about how genres came about. Every genre you could ever think about going back to the beginning of time, jazz, hip-hop, ragtime, blues, grunge, punk, reggae, grunge rock. I said grunge. Uh, country. Uh, 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 you know, hip-hop rock. Remember that? <sighs> Limp Biscuit. All of these genres. Now, I didn't say all the genres were good. But all of these genres came about because a small group of musicians somewhere told their, their truth, right? And, and were describing the world as they saw it. And a small number of listeners heard this and they thought, oh yeah, that's me, that's me. And so they support these artists, right? Like that's how punk rock got started, right? It wasn't, you know, all of a sudden 10 million people were listening to the Ramones. No, it was like 100 people listening to the Ramones you know, going to the store, buying their records, supporting them, getting them to the next level. Same thing with hip-hop. Every genre that ever mattered started small. And it started with an insular group supporting each other. Right now, under Prorata, it will take your average emerging band 8.5 million streams over the course of a year to make minimum wage. It's, it's almost insurmountable, right? But if, uh, you know, if, if it's a subscriber share universe, you can use a small number of fans and they don't have to listen to you 12 hours a day. They can just listen to you normal, like normal people who work and go to jobs and you know, can't do two and a half hours a day. Finally, subscriber share saves kittens, cures cancer. Why wouldn't we do that, right? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Jeff will take it over.